and welcome to Smoke and Shadow. I am your host, Victoria Sadowski. And we're still getting spooky. We're still doing it. We're getting closer to Halloween. So I've got you a little bit of a spooky, a spooky episode. One that's just as informative as it is fucking terrifying in some parts. There's some things in this that just, ooh, I read about and I was like, no fucking thanks. And the spooky topic in question is none other than the djinn, also known as genie in the Western Hemisphere. But before we get into that, full disclosure, the last time I was looking at this outline, it was two nights ago at two in the morning. So <laughs> if you find that there's anything that might need fact checking and you realize that I might have misconstrued a few things or misread a few things... Uh, send some sources and corrections to Smoke and Shadow Podcast at gmail.com. Granted, I think I did a pretty good job with this outline, and I have some pretty solid sources, I think. So, but again, haven't looked at this outline since I was very, very tired two days ago. So, I don't, anything could be on here. I have no idea. So, we'll find out together. And you can follow me on Instagram at Smoke and Shadow Podcast, where sometimes I post extra little tidbits of information that I didn't put in a podcast, and you can always say hi. And in the show notes, you should be able to find a link to my Patreon, so if you choose to donate, thank you so very much. And most importantly, please follow and or subscribe and share it with everybody you know and anyone who likes history, anyone who likes smoking weed, I don't care, just share it. Thank you. Now, let's get into it. Jin is an Arabic word derived from the Semitic root word jinn or jan, which primarily means to hide or adapt. The exact origins of belief in jinn are not entirely clear. Some scholars of the Middle East hold that they originated as malevolent spirits residing in deserts and unclean places, who often took the form of animals. Other scholars hold that they were originally pagan in nature and were essentially deities who gradually became marginalized as other deities took greater importance in pre-Islamic Arabia. Archaeological evidence suggests that jinn had been worshipped by many Arabs during the pre-Islamic period, though unlike most gods, jinn were not regarded as immortal. And although the origins of jinn are disputed and lost in time, it's common belief that the earliest jinn were believed to have first come from the desert. Jinn had played more importance in everyday life of pre-Islamic Arabs than the major gods themselves. According to common belief, soothsayers, pre-Islamic philosophers, and poets were inspired by the jinn. Although jinn are said to have more power than humans, it's possible that a human could kill a jinn in single combat. That's going to be real good to know when you start learning about some of this other creepy shit that I'm about to tell you. Jinn were thought to shift into different shapes, but were feared especially in their invisible form since they could attack without being seen. It's also thought that Jinn were believed to be able to enter the human body in pursuit of possession. I'm gonna come back to the possession thing a little bit later, but first we have to talk about post-Islam. The Quran rejects the former pre-Islamic belief system and deems that devotion should be reserved for Allah and Allah alone, and claims that Allah was the one who created Jinn. So jinn sort of got wrapped up into the Muslim culture, similar to how other minor entities or deities in ancient Mesopotamia got wrapped up into Semitic belief or Judaic belief and became angels and or demons. Jinn have a similar role to play, but at the same time, they sort of managed to 
maintain their own autonomy. However, they're still now within a folklore where they were created by this other more powerful god, which was not really in their original folklore. Belief in jinn is not included among the six articles of Islamic faith, as the belief in angels is. However, many Muslim scholars, even today, believe it is essential to Islamic faith. Within the Islamic tradition, jinn were thought to have inhabited the earth prior to the creation of Adam and Eve. Which, by the way, in the Western world, we don't know a lot about um, Islam culturally on like a general basis, which is hilarious to me because it's very similar, hence the Adam and Eve part, to Christianity. And it's amazing to me that when I was discussing some of this research with some friends before, you know, recording it, I got a lot of reactions of, wait, Adam and Eve is in the Quran? But again, Islam, Judaism, Christianity, all Abrahamic religions and all are variations of the same myth. I hate to put it that way because I feel like a lot of people within those religions don't like hearing that. But it's the truth, and I don't know how to lie to you. So here we are. And of course, they're not, you know, the same. They all have their own unique flavor depending on when and where they developed. And the jinn in particular are sort of one of many things that make Islam so unique compared to Judaism or Christianity because... I guess you could say jinn trickle into Judaism, but not not they're not as prevalent and important as they are in uh, the Muslim world. And I'll touch on the impact that jinn have on the Western world and sort of in the Christian world, but jinn in the Western world are not so based in folklore or myth or well, no myth, but not really religion, and we'll we'll get to that. In common Islamic tradition, the angels were created on Wednesday, the jinn on Thursday, and humans on Friday, though not in succession. So rather than it all being done in one week, it was done over the course of, you know, thousands of years, more than a thousand years in between each of these creations. So no, not all in one week. God rested for thousands of Sundays because he's a slack ass. Or maybe he had other shit to do. I don't know. I don't know. It's been a long time since I was in Sunday school. According to the Alawi sect of Islam, the jinn are part of the circle of time belonging to a period preceding the creation of mankind. Therefore, before humans, there were the hin, the bin, the tim, the rim, the jan, and then the jinn, who roamed the earth. Like humans, the jinn too had government and religion, although eventually grew to be wicked in the eyes of Allah. When Allah asked the jinn to bow down to Adam after his creation, one of them used his free will and said no, because why would anyone bow to just this baby? He's a literal baby. He was just created. No one's going to bow down to a baby. And that person in particular had many names, such as Ibiz, Iblis, Shaitan, or later Satan. So yes, jinn can also be devils. They can, in some interpretations, be the devil, and even in some cases be angelic, although very rarely, and we'll, we'll get into that. Allah then sent an army of angels who repossessed the earth and drove the jinn to be exiled in the region of the islands. And in more modern times, or, you know, a more Christianized version, they obviously were banished to hell. 
Jinn are mentioned approximately 29 times within the Quran, and in Islamic tradition, Muhammad was sent as a prophet to both human and jinn communities, and that prophets and messengers were sent to both communities throughout most of the stories in the Quran. So, you know, when someone rolls into town and starts preaching their gospel and telling you that your ways are wrong and you need to convert, that was also happening to the jinn. They're not excluded from that despite the fact that they're not human. They also were, within the Quran, said to have been converted in a lot of instances. <laughs> Traditionally, the 72nd chapter of the Quran, which was named after the jinn and is named al-jinn, talks about the revelation to jinn and several stories mention one of Muhammad's followers accompanying him and witnessed the revelation to the jinn. So Muhammad was talking to the jinn, the jinn were talking to Muhammad. Things were happening. It was a crazy time in the 7th century. Also, just just in case you're wondering, like, okay, so how does Allah create the jinn and have this whole shebang with them? And then Muhammad has to come along later and try to convert them to Islam. Like, what is the deal with that? I don't know. I think I would have to read the entire Quran to know. Do I have the patience no, I can't even read the fucking Bible and I was raised Catholic. So no, I'm not, I don't have that patience. If you do, please look into it. Email me, tell me what's going on. I don't fucking know. In the story of Solomon, they appear as nature spirits comparable to Talmudic Shedim. Shedim are these sort of demons in Jewish mythology. However, they're not entirely the same as the demons we know in Abrahamic cultures today. And within the story of Solomon... Solomon himself was given the gift by God to talk to both animals and spirits. God also granted him authority over the rebellious jinn and devils, which ended up with Solomon forcing them to build the first temple of Jerusalem. Many of the Renaissance philosophers and occultists tend to suggest that Solomon gained full control over most angels, demons, and jinn through the use of a magical circle known to them as the Circle of Solomon. Using the circle, he would face east and ensnare an entity in the triangle pointing east as he stood within the main circle of protection. And again, I don't know if the Circle of Solomon was something that was culminated during the Renaissance or if it was taken from a tablet we no longer have because it was destroyed. The Renaissance period was a time where a lot of archaeological evidence was surfacing, so I'm not sure what influenced the Circle of Solomon as well as any other Solomonic occult work that was definitely going on. But we can assume that there was a lot of Semitic influence coming from the Byzantine Empire as well as from ancient Greece that were trickling into Rome during that time. And of course, you had a lot of Islamic philosophers doing a lot of translating for a lot of this archaeological evidence coming through as well as Semitic uh, translators. So a lot of the Abrahamic religions were rediscovering the past at that time. So again, I don't know where the original Circle of Solomon concept came from other than the Renaissance. It could be older. We do not know. In some instances, the Quran talks about pagan Arabs calling jinn for aid instead of Allah. The Quran reduced the status of jinn from lesser deities to that of minor spirits, usually paralleling humans. Due to this, jinn often appear paired with humans, and to assert strict monotheism, as well as the Islamic concept of Tawhid, all associations between jinn and Allah were denied. The jinn were then placed parallel to humans, also subject to Allah's judgment in the afterlife. 
So the djinn really got screwed. <laughs> According to the reports of the canonical hadiths, the djinn eat like humans, but instead of fresh food, they prefer rotten flesh and bones. One of these hadiths divides the djinn into three groups, with one type of the djinn flying through the air, another that are like snakes and dogs, and a third that move from place to place like humans. The human-looking ones sound like skinwalkers to me, just saying, and that's gonna, like, there's some skinwalker shit that's gonna keep popping up. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna point it out now. There's one instance that we'll get to in a little bit that, ooh, it just, it just crawls right up my spine. Let's just put it that way. When Islam spread outside of Arabia, belief in the jinn was assimilated with local belief about spirits and deities from Iran, Africa, Turkey, and India. Early Persian translations of the Quran identified the jinn either with Paris or Divs, depending on their moral behavior. And these Persian creatures are a little bit more, they have better temperaments than the jinn, and they are a bit more auspicious in nature and are believed to be these sort of, I think it's the Paris that are these beautiful winged creatures in Persian mythology. But again, jinn were not always synonymous with these things, but were occasionally related or associated with them. In the city of Sindh in Pakistan, the concept of the jinn was introduced when Islam became acceptable. Since then, the jinn have become a common part of the local folklore. And you know how I mentioned how the jinn were sort of reduced to the same level as humans? Over time, and especially now in modern times, jinn are more affiliated with nature spirits in the Arabic world and possess great power. Unlike, you know, their power was more similar to that of humans at one point, but like now you just, you don't fuck with them. You don't want to fuck with the jinn. And this is sort of due to global spiritual conflation where jinn are more sort of seen as a being that resides in a different realm or a spiritual realm and are not really seen as on the same level as humans as they were around the 10th century, let's say. They're seen more similarly to how the Western world sees spirits beneath God, yet still elusive in possessing their own elemental power that humans do not have, and it's not clear if they're angelic or demonic. There's, there's this middle gray area that... Jin happened to be placed into because of this new modernized consensus of what a otherworldly being is and that sort of middle ground or, more appropriately, limbo that they get placed into. The jinn can also be broken down into subgroups that are thought to be culminated from various Mesopotamian cultures and religions. So, names that could have possibly not at one point been associated with jinn that are now a type of jinn. It's unclear um, you have any information on this, send it to me, because I got a little lost in this area, I'm not going to lie. It's coming back to me. These notes look chaotic. Um, bear with me. The more innocent, or seemingly innocent, jinn, uh, being the Jan, Karin, and the Hin. The more evil ones being the Iblis, Shaitan, Ifrit, and Marid. 
These terms are not always strictly applied and sometimes overlap and blend together. Jin and Jan can sometimes be interchangeable, but Jan is believed to be older. But I've also seen Jan used in a way where it's just the plural of Jin. So, I don't know. Jin is also a name for individuals or families of fire spirits. Also, Jin in general are said to be made from the smokeless flame. Not Allah, or maybe Allah made the smokeless flame. I don't know. The Karin are my worst nightmare, apparently, says my notes. A sort of human double creature? Yeah, that sounds about right. They either manifest within the human psyche, okay, or as a separate mirrored being within another realm. This is the skinwalker shit that I'm talking about. This is terrifying to me that because we've all seen horror movies and all that stuff and how many different ways you can do horror, especially paranormal horror, but like a being that can manifest within the psyche as well as outside of the psyche, no fucking thank you. A double? It looks like you. No, 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 no. No, none of that. No thanks. They are sometimes not even considered jinn in certain contexts, but rather another autonomous entity or either an angel or demon. So they can be either or, but they're still fucking terrifying. Which again is also very skinwalker because we don't, well, in Native American folklore, technically skinwalkers are like of evil origin, but there's just something fucking weird about it where it's just like, what are they though? Like, what are they really? That's the vibe that I get from this type of gin. Like, what the fuck is that about? And although I did just say they can be angelic, Although they're usually evil, in a way that reflects a person's flaws or inner darkness, sort of like a doppelganger. So remember how I mentioned that the jinn were part of the cycles of time and came before humans, and there were sort of different eras for the jinn as well that had names? And I mentioned how Jan is technically older than jinn. Well, it's the hin that are technically the oldest and were the first of the jinn to roam the earth. Now we're getting into the real evil ones. So remember how I mentioned the Iblis or Iblis? That was the sort of name for the leader of the devils and would later be associated with Satan. He's the one in particular who refused to bow to Adam because again, why would anyone bow to a baby? Who would do that? If someone came up to you and was like, here's a sweet new baby boy I just made, bow at his feet, would you say yes? If you do, you have no free will and no sense of independence. I'm so sorry. Please seek help. And yes, I know Adam didn't actually look like a baby, but he was mentally a baby. <laughs> anyway. Shaitans are what they sound like. They are also affiliated with Satan and are considered the children's servants of the great devil. So, Shaitan, Satan. Similar. Not the same, but similar. In, in the same realm. But shaitans are more of the demons, the lesser demons compared to, like, Satan. Now, ifrits are most often evil, but not always like the shaitans. Shaitans are always evil. However, the ifrits are far more powerful than the shaitans and might rival iblis? I don't know. Marids are the most powerful and are also evil. That's it. That's all I've got. They're just powerful and evil. These various categories are thought to have been created separately, according to a creation myth reported by Arab historian Al-Masudi in the early 10th century. 
In his celebrated work, Meadows of Gold, Al-Masudi explains that God created the demons first before they proved to be corrupted. In a more historical front, some scholars argue that the angels and devils were introduced by the prophet Muhammad to Arabia and did not exist among the jinn. But on the other hand, Amira El Zain, a visiting associate professor at Georgetown University School of Foreign Service in Qatar, argues that angels were known to the pagan Arabs, but the term jinn was used for all kinds of supernatural entities among various religions and cults. Thus, Zoroastrian, Christian, and Jewish angels and devils were conflated with jinn. So this argument sort of illustrates that jinn was at one point a term that is what the Western world would consider spirits. Just a very vague term that can be applied to a lot of different things. And in the West, because of colonization, the New World, you have a lot of European spiritualism conflating with Native American spiritualism. And now because of that, we have things like skinwalkers. I swear this isn't a skinwalker episode. My point being that we choose these sort of labels and place them on a wide range of things that are elusive to us. And we use this label to sort of categorize things and put things in boxes so that when something we don't understand happens, we have a sort of map that points us in the right direction of what it could be. And we sort of label it as that thing to cope and get through the fucking day. And you're probably like, what are these things that we're coping with that we have to blame on spirits and and gods and devils and angels, we're getting there. It's gonna get weirder, I promise. <coughs> okay. Al-Jahiz, writer and scholar from the 9th century, credits pre-Islamic Arabs with believing that jinn were made up by several tribes and groups. He also speculates that some natural events were attributed to them, such as storms. He believed the pre-Islamic people thought jinn could protect, marry, kidnap, and again possess, and kill humans. So, there's a lot of things going on that this man is hypothesizing about pre-Islamic traditions and how they viewed the jinn, based on what I assume is some archaeological evidence, but mostly stories handed down from older generations that were told via word of mouth. And now, this is where we start to get back into possessions. <laughs> so, through possession, jinn were at one point thought to spread disease and mental illness. However, jinn can't possess people whenever they want. Rather, the victim must be predisposed for possession or in a state of weakness. Feelings of insecurity, mental instability, unhappy love, or depression are good enough for a jinn to take hold of a person. So, yes, this is, this is nightmare fuel, I think. Yeah. And it gets better. Oddly enough, sleep paralysis is also understood as a jinn attack, by many sleep paralysis sufferers in Egypt, as discovered by a Cambridge neuroscience study by two men by the names of Halal and Simons Rudolph in 2013. Um, there's a whole study. <laughs> oh my god, that's terrifying. Like, this, this is something, okay, 
let me just continue. The study found that as many as 48% of those who experienced sleep paralysis in Egypt believed it to be an assault by the jinn. That's a lot of people. It's not the majority, but it's still a lot of people. Also, it's spooky season. I gotta talk about this. For those of you who've seen movies like Hereditary and shows like Haunting of Hill House and, you know, the Exorcist movies, for whatever reason, spirits and otherworldly entities tend to fuck with our psyche. And this still not only emulates in movies and shows, it's still part of the folklore. Like, it's, I don't know. It's, it's romanticized, but it's also still a thing that a lot of people are still afraid of all over the fucking world. For, and they're not, you know, again, back to the whole labeling thing. Some people call it gin. Some people call it spirit. Some people call it whatever the fuck. Skinwalkers. Fucking <laughs> skinwalkers, man. Ugh. My point is it's all relative, as well as this weird notion that we spiritualize our mental illnesses and that line between is it paranormal or is it you know mental illness that line blurs a lot throughout human history and continues to do so and that shows in our culture today globally even and there's always variations to different cultures but we all practice this everywhere every place in the world sort of practices this from Cambodia to Qatar to Uganda to New England to Seattle. We all do it. Everybody does it. And, like, not everybody, everybody, but, like, every culture does this. And because now we're talking about sort of this, like, globalized idea of spirituality, we're going to talk about the sort of Western perspective of the jinn, which is the genie, because it's just a conversation that needs to be had. I'm sorry. Genie comes from the more masculine word jinn, which is, you know, genie, just spelt with a J. Feminine jinns are sometimes called jinnia. Much like our Western understanding of genies thanks to the Disney movie Aladdin, jinn are shapeshifters and can take on any form to deceive or aid depending on their constitution. Skinwalkers. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. Julius Wellhausen, a German biblical scholar in the late 1800s, observed that such spirits were thought to inhabit desolate, dingy, and dark places, and that they were just generally feared. This man clearly didn't know that they came from the desert. He also speculated that one had to protect oneself from them, but they were not the objects of a true cult, pretty much saying that jinn, they weren't the objects of worship. That's that's what he was saying. So he clearly didn't look too far into their origins. However, this was the late 1800s. White people were dumb in the late 1800s. Smart in some ways, maybe. But we were dumb. We were eating arsenic to look good. Like we were not smart. We were we were, the, we were the Labrador retrievers that go through the trash and eat stuff that gets us sent to the vet. Like, that's, that's what we were in the 1800s. Again, similar to that of the interpretation of the genie in Aladdin, jinn can exist independently as entities, but can also become attached to inanimate objects such as stones or metals. More specifically, jinn prefer older objects where they can reside and travel. So, these are sort of the origins for the concept of genie in a bottle. Also, we should probably take a second to go over the modernism versus Salafism theories. And these are sort of the split ways that 
people in the Islamic world are viewing the jinn today. And in modernist theory, they interpret jinn not as supernatural beings, but as powerful men whose influence is felt even though they keep their distance from common people. So, Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos is a jinn, guys. According to M.T. Ahmed, references to jinn also could mean microorganisms such as bacteria and viruses. So, again, with the whole, like, jinn spreading mental illness and disease, people under the modernist theory are saying, you know, now we know that bacteria causes viruses and the spread of disease, we can call this jinn. I think that's sort of how they're viewing it and applying it to a more rational or atheist context rather than a religious one, or rather just combining both scientific and religious perspectives into one. Okay, where are my fact checkers at? A man by the name of Gulen, leader of the Hizmet movement, had put forward the idea that jinn may be the cause of schizophrenia and cancer, and that the Quranic references to jinn on smokeless fire is just a reference to energy or chi. So you can see the modernist approach is still, you know, pretty spiritual, but it's sort of trying to align with our current scientific understanding of the world. However, at the same time, most modernists believe that the concept and superstition of jinn hold back the Muslim world. So, interesting. Would like to know more at a later date. So in Salafism theory, contemporary Salafi tenets of Islam reject modern interpretations of jinn and adhere to literalism, arguing the threat of jinn and their ability to possess humans can be proven by Quran and Sanaa. So, I hate to make the comparison, but um, similar to how Christians view demons a little bit, that we're under threat of possession all the time, and uh, we need exorcists, stat, we, we need them, and... Also, the Sanaa, like the Quran, is a hadith or oral tradition thought to have originated from the Prophet Muhammad. So yeah, most Salafists no longer make the distinction between jinn and demons and group them into one monolith. So, which is why, in some contexts, the jinn are just straight up associated with demons is because there once was a complexity to them and now a more conservative party is like, nah, they're the fucking same, I don't care about the context. You gotta hide your kids, hide your wife. These things are not to be fucked with, which I get. It's, I get it. I get it. As we have discovered with the Kareen and a few others, they're fucking terrifying. So I understand the concern. I do. But again, if you go way, way back in time and look at what the angels looked like at their, the beginning of angelicizing, oh, thousand eyes, no, thank you. No, 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 no. I don't trust any of them. Fuck them all. I'm going to group them all in one monolith. Angels and demons and jinn alike. No, don't come to my house. Thank you. You too, Michael. I don't fucking trust Michael. Michael! <laughs> okay. Other fun facts on jinn. They fear iron, generally appear in desolate or abandoned places, and are stronger and faster than humans. Which is why a lot of people in the West occasionally associate the jinn with the Celtic Fae, because the Fae also do not like iron, and they also are a bunch of little shits who like to play pranks on people. So, again, relative. It's believed that jinn are also regarded as the assistants of soothsayers. Soothsayers are known to reveal information from the past and present, 
And the jinn can be a source of information because their lifespans exceed those of humans. So sometimes diviners and practitioners will strike a deal with a jinn in order to get certain information. And I feel like this is somehow in relation to how jinn get trapped into bottles. Like I feel like there's some fuckery with this sort of trade. And the jinn get fucked, but sometimes the humans get fucked. I don't know. I feel like this that's where that comes from of the jinn getting stuck if, you know, it's not Allah imprisoning them in a jar. I don't know. I don't know how that happens. But I feel like it comes from this sort of weird niche culture of soothsayers and jinn sort of collaborating for whatever purpose. In Arabic folklore, another way to see if a person or animal is actually a jinn is by inserting an iron needle to their skin or dress. Since jinn are afraid of iron, they are unable to remove it with their own power. So I don't know why a needle. I, I feel like this is also a vampire thing with like spoons and on noses and I don't know. Where did the spoons on noses thing come from? That's from something. Is that like a Disney thing or is that actual folklore? I don't know anymore. Oh, wait, 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 wait. It's because of silver. It's because of silver. And silverware is made from silver. So it's still a similar concept of, you know, certain metals acting as these sort of repellents for these weird otherworldly beings. Also, this is very similar to the concept of, you know, the Celtic Fae and how they're also afraid of iron. So interesting parallel there. Also, serpents are the animals most associated with jinn. And in Islamic tradition, many narratives concern a serpent who is actually a jinn. Maybe the snake that told Eve to eat the apple was actually a jinn. Because think about it. They didn't want to bow down to Adam. And how best to fuck with Adam? Tell Eve to eat an apple. I mean, it worked. And here's my last little fun fact. The jinn are also related to wind and may even appear in mists or sandstorms. Sandstorms, in particular, are thought to be caused by a battle between different groups of jinn. Which, that's spooky. That just reminds me of that episode of Courage the Cowardly Dog when there's those, like, ghost rider sort of people, phantoms, that are, like, hunting him down to kill him. And that was, like, the most terrifying episode for me. But they're, like, kicking up dirt and stuff and, like, mist as they go and they just, like, appear out of nowhere. And I'm like, that's, this is the same thing. This is, it's all relative. It's all in the same box and I'm going to pack that box up and put it somewhere where I can never see it and never want to deal with it again. Except I have to because I just want to talk about one little thing that I think is very interesting because I almost made this episode about mental illness versus paranormal because that's a theme I see all the time in movies and shows as well as, you know, religion, folklore, whatever, mythology. It's, it's there. And I wanted to talk about it, but then I was like, mm, I feel like that's too general of a topic. So I scrapped it and then I just was like, what can I do? And I was thinking about it and then I watched a scary movie called The Djinn and I was like, you know what? I think this is it. And then as I started doing research, I was like, oh, here we are talking about mental illness and sleep paralysis. <laughs> I was like, ah, it's funny how these things work out, especially right before Halloween. Hmm. Anyway. That is this week's episode on the djinn. So, with that being said, sources. Legends of the Fire Spirits, Jinn and Genies from Arabia to Zanzibar by Robert Lebing. Islam, Arabs, and the Intelligent World of the Jinn by Amaria Elzane. 
The Reality of Jinn in the Quran and the Sanaa. Lecture given by Dr. Yasir Kadi for MIC, the Memphis Islamic Center. And I did look up a few things from the Quran just to double check. And of course, a little wiki. So yeah, that's it for today, guys. Thank you so much for listening. And again, you have any sources or anything related to topics that you want to send me, please email that stuff at smokeandshadowpodcast at gmail.com. Give me a follow on Instagram. Patreon links are in the show notes. And again, share with everyone you know. It's the best way to get a podcast out there. So thank you so much, and I'll see you on the next one.